0: This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, July the 9th, 2023. Once again, I just so appreciate you joining with me. Today we are starting out our new, our next major book study. And it is the Old Testament, better said the Hebrew Bible, book of Proverbs. Now, just real quick, I'm going to give you a lot of stuff today, lots to think about. And all of the facts, the data, the thoughts that we're about to go through are all in my raw sermon notes if you want to check those out. right? There's a PDF of that um, along with an actual study guide for this on our church website under the Beaver Creek link if you go and you look for that at TrinityVale.com. Okay? Okay. But before we go there, I just want to start with a little fun. These are some modern day, well, some not quite so modern, Proverbs. And I want you to see if you can complete the following. Okay, here we go. A fool and his money, or you know that one, are soon parted. How about a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? You know that one, you've heard that. How about this one? Better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Um, here's another one. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Now, this one I really like. I'm pretty sure this is attributed to Winston Churchill, although he may have um, derived this from, from someone else. But, um, but he is on record as having said, if to improve is to change, then to be perfect is to have changed very much. Something to think about. One of my favorite Proverbs is, was on a, a little plaque that was in my grandmother's kitchen growing up. And it said, a clean house is a wasted life. <laughs> Friends, my point is, we live in a world of Proverbs. You see, for all of human history, and to this very day, people like to observe the world around them and make statements to sum it up, or to help people learn, or sometimes to reveal people's folly. Now, in one sense, this is true of the Hebrew Proverbs, but they are so much more than that. And in the coming months, we're going to take a deep dive into this majestic compilation of inspired ancient wisdom, asking God to open our hearts and our minds to how we may hear, learn, and grow closer into the person, the presence, and the character of God. Now, our first few messages, it's probably going to be three messages. I'm calling this part one. They're going to involve some big picture things that we need to learn before engaging the text itself. And today I'm going to walk or maybe run us through some of the key introductory matters of this scripture. Okay. So just right at the top, let's get going. Just what are the Proverbs anyway? Well, that's a huge question. Huge question. But a very high-level, friends, the Proverbs, simply put, are brief, to-the-point statements of wisdom. Now, getting a little more specific than that, they are statements of divine wisdom, of God's wisdom. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Another distinction, the Proverbs, really in contrast, well not in contrast, but maybe more so than any other scripture in, in the totality of the Bible, they are intensely practical. You see, this is not abstract theology or philosophy, spiritual philosophy. It's been said that in the Proverbs, we have the practical application of the law and the prophets expressed in the reality and dynamics of everyday life. Another distinctive, and this really is with all of Scripture, is that the Proverbs point us to God. The wisdom of Proverbs isn't just about improving our lives, although they often will accomplish that. It is about bringing us, at times on our knees, before the very creator of wisdom, God himself. And lastly, the Proverbs are ancient Hebrew literature. but They point us to God's work of redemption in Jesus Christ. And we will unpack that in the coming few weeks. So, big picture overview of what the Proverbs are. But who wrote the Proverbs? And when were they written? Now the common answer of authorship is if you've looked at the the proverbs at all you would say well it's Solomon right and this is true conservative scholars agree right overwhelmingly on that but the text itself reveals not just Solomon but four direct and one indirect author so we have Solomon we have the men of king hezekiah as we're going to see we have a gentleman by the name of augur and we have king Lemuel. And then we have the final editor and compiler of the entire collection of Proverbs. Now, that's a very high-level overview, but when did this happen, right? How did this unpack? So Solomon reigned in the mid-900s BC. Now, that's our starting point about 3,000 years ago, right? When we think about getting into this and when the the cultural surroundings of some of these Proverbs, 3,000 years ago. Okay, King Hezekiah reigned in the mid to early 700s BC, so we know that the Proverbs continued to expand for at least 200 years after Solomon's lifetime. Now, we don't know the identity of Augur, although he was likely an influential court official, nor do we have other records of King Lemuel, so they really don't help us that much in, in dating the books, the, the, the overall structure of Proverbs. And we also don't conclusively know when the final editor compiled the Proverbs and did his work, although many people think this happened in the 500s to 400s range. But friends, we do know that this had happened in completion, that this final compilation was also, was was finished and viewed as scripture by the Hebrew people prior to the mid-third century BC. Okay, well, how do we know that? Because, friends, that is the earliest date of the writing, the creation of what we call the Septuagint, which was the original Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, from Hebrew into Greek. And the Septuagint includes the Proverbs. Now, along these same lines, a word about the structure of Hebrews you know, scholars are virtually unanimous on grouping the Proverbs into seven collections, right? Just go through this real quick. We have collection one, which is around chapters one through nine. Um, these are attributed directly to Solomon. Chapter one, verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. The second collection, which is around chapters 10 through 22, also are directly attributed to Solomon. Right? You can go look at that. The collections 3 and 4, which are roughly verses, or chapters 22 through 24, both are called the sayings of the wise. And there's a high consensus in conservative scholarship, right, lots of evidence, that these also are Proverbs of Solomon, okay? Now, collection 5, which is chapters 25 through 29, begins with this. These are more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah king of Judah. So the picture is here that some 200 years after Solomon's life, people of the court of King Hezekiah, right, scholars, whoever they were, did the work and gathered additional writings of Solomon that had not yet been put into the collection of Proverbs, and they did that, thus the heading, right? So these men, while not the originators of the Proverbs in collection five, they did play an authorship role by their very act of collection and choosing what they were going to include in this, um, really this, this next section of the Proverbs. Then we get to collection six. It's chapter 30 and it begins this way. It says, the sayings of Augur, sons of Jachah, an inspired utterance. All right, that's a significant statement. But this is, these are the Proverbs of augur, okay? Collection 7, which is chapter 31, which is the the last chapter in Proverbs, are from King Lemuel, all right? And this begins, chapter 31 begins, the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. (laughs) Meaning, my friends, significantly, that the person God inspired with the truth of Proverbs 31 wasn't King Lemuel. It was his mom, right? Just kind of run with that for a little bit. That's another conversation. But friends, on that note, just continuing forward, moving forward, I want to talk a little bit about inspiration, how we understand the inspiration of the Proverbs. Of course, we say this is in Scripture. This is the Word of God. So therefore, it's it's the inspired truth of God. But we can mean a lot of things by that. Okay, so just a few words here. Friends, many scholars argue that the writers of Proverbs gained their wisdom through their own research and rational reflection upon the world around them, okay? Just like, you know, Winston Churchill looked at his life and everything that he had learned, that he had experienced through World War I, World War II, and being the prime minister of England, and then in his writings, I mean, Churchill is known for quite a few Proverbs, okay? But the problem with that view is that this would just reduce the biblical Proverbs to just mirror human observation or mirror human advice, rather than being the inspired wisdom from God. In contrast to that idea, the Proverbs themselves declare the wisdom of the authors is, in fact, wisdom from God. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then I'll jump down to verses 5 and 6, Solomon here writing says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Solomon focuses right there on ultimately this wisdom, not just ultimately, but primarily. This wisdom is from the Lord. Furthermore, as we just saw, both the wisdom of Augur and the the wisdom of King Lemuel is claimed by Proverbs to be inspired. Okay, but another issue on this idea of inspiration. Many scholars over the years have noted, and it's really, it's just an indisputable fact, that there are multiple correlations, some near verbatim, between Solomon's Proverbs and other pagan sayings from other ancient Near East writings, specifically Egypt, most of those predating Solomon's life. Okay, so what do we do with that, right? Are these Proverbs just Solomon ripping off other wisdom of the day and therefore not inspired? Now, people have tried to argue that, but it's really shallow thinking. I want you to consider this, and here I'm quoting from my primary commentary. Um, the author's name name is, is Waltke, and he says this, Yes, Solomon borrows and adapts ideas, language sayings laws and even mythological allusions from his neighbors like Egypt but he purges them of their pagan theology so they serve the purposes of the I am the Lord yes some of these proverbs of some of the some of the proverbs wisdom is borrowed but it's brought under the affirmation that it is I am the Lord who is creator and the revealer of wisdom, wherever, whenever, and to whomever the Lord may choose to reveal it. I mean, consider chapter 22, starting in verse 17. Solomon says, he says, pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Right now. When Solomon says that, when Solomon himself refers to the sayings of the wise, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about, right, this general wisdom, these proverbs that are present in the ancient Near Eastern culture of the day, right? And he says, Pay attention to this. Turn your ear to this. And he goes on saying, Apply your heart to what I teach. For it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips. And then he gives us the so that so that your trust may be in the Lord. But you see what Solomon did there. He acknowledges that he has borrowed, that he has adapted, incorporated wisdom from the world around him. But he says the point of this wisdom, the point of all wisdom, is so that our trust may be in the Lord. Now, moving on, we need to talk just a little bit about poetry Because essential to interpreting and understanding the Proverbs is the fact that they are, from start to finish, they are poetry. Now, we're going to push into this in the coming weeks, months, maybe a year, but right now I just want to cover three key aspects of ancient Hebrew poetry. Some of these you may have heard about. The first one is parallelism, okay? And you see this throughout the Proverbs, right? It's where you see two parallel lines a verse working together as a unified statement where the second line either amplifies, clarifies, or sometimes contrasts with the first line. There's lots of different versions of this, but an example is from chapter 21, verse 5, where the author says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Two lines they're really two different statements, diligence leads to profit, haste leads to poverty, but they work together to make a, a, a total unified statement. So what we want to get at is what, is what is that total unified statement, right? Another thing that we see in ancient Hebrew poetry are imagery and figures of speech. Now, these are crucial to understanding in their historic cultural setting. I mean, today we may say, if a big, big rainstorm came through, you may say, you know, it's, it's, it's raining cats and dogs. Well, do we mean that literally? Well, no, of course not. This means it's raining so hard that back in the day when, when that phrase, that idiom, right, that proverb came to being, right, houses were low slung, roofs were lower, and cats and dogs would hang out on the roof. You know, a century ago, that's where the animals like to rest. And when the big, big storm came, it would drive them off the roof. Therefore, it's raining cats and dogs. Now, imagine if that were an ancient Hebrew saying, and then 3,000 years later, we come to it and say, this is God's inspired word, right? It is the literal truth of God. So therefore, cats and dogs must have fallen from the sky in ancient Israel. No, of course not. That's absurd. But friends, that's an extreme example of a trap, an, inters- an interpretational trap that it's not difficult for us to fall into. Now, the third aspect of Hebrew poetry, and this is the most important, is the idea of terseness, okay? Terseness. Friends, poems state things state things in as few words as possible. That's what terse means, right? It's just a short Very, very short statement, packed with meaning. The inspired poetry of Proverbs challenges the reader to fill in the gaps, to place the wisdom in the context of their current life experience. And so understanding these attributes of poetry, again, they are essential to taking this inspired scripture and actually applying it into our lives. So let's talk about that, applying the Proverbs. Again, very, very high level here. Two big ideas, and this is something you can chew on during the week. Right, and this follows on the idea of terseness that I talked to. And it's this, all right? Number one, proverbs are true, right? These are statements, scriptural statements that are true, but they are not the complete truth. Okay? When seeking to understand a proverb, we often must use other proverbs or the larger te- teachings of scripture. For example, very famously, Proverbs 22.6 says this, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Well, unless they do. You see, my friends, this teaches us the principle of how good parenting has a lifelong impact on a youth, right, that is true. But this is not a comprehensive comment on biblical parenting. Moreover, we all know godly parents who have raised their children in the way of the Lord, the way that statement is often translated, and when the child grows older, they did not continue in their faith. And this leads to the second point. And I think this is, this is just a huge thing for us to remember. And it's that Proverbs are principles, not promises. Right? They are principles of truth, but they are not promises Of outcomes, at least many, many times. Uh, When I was in seminary, my Old Testament professor put it this way, proverbs are things that are true, except when they're not, right? These are true principles of life by which God invites us into his wisdom and the goodness he desires we experience in this life. But there are also times when life is unfair, unjust, tragic, and things don't go the way that they should. Another example, Proverbs 10 verse 4. And this is many, 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 many of the Proverbs, many statements along this line. But here it says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And there is wisdom there. And as a principle. It is true. And we would be wise to hear it and learn from it. But we all know that you can easily find people who do work with diligence and integrity and yet live in poverty, sometimes generationally. And there are also lazy and dishonest people who enjoy great wealth, sometimes also generationally. That's something we'll talk about a lot. But this brings us to the crux of the message today. Friends, why were the Proverbs written? Right. What's going on here? What is God's intent? Not just to the ancient Israelis, the, Hebrew, the original Hebrew audience, but to all people today. Well, we don't have to look too closely to see that there are two great and primary themes, right? distinctions and correlations throughout the Proverbs. And they are the ideas of wisdom and righteousness on one hand and folly and wickedness on the other hand. And throughout this scripture, we're going to see how wisdom and righteousness complement and reinforce each other, while folly and wickedness so often go hand in hand. And this is seen in many forms throughout the Proverbs, but here's just a few examples. Chapter 12, verse 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Uh, There's a a musician he has got a song I just love, and the chorus of it is, Oh, the way of a fool, he is right in his own eyes. Chapter 10, verse 14, The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool invites ruin. Are you getting a theme here? Chapter 10, verse 21, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for a lack of sense. And friends, just looking at those three verses, there's this underlying toxin that's present in the fool's heart. You see what it is? It's pride. This is another big thing that we'll see throughout the Proverbs. But friends, the greatest theme of Proverbs, the single dominant narrative, start to finish, is encapsulated in Proverbs 1-7. And this is the theme, the calling and invitation For the reader's trust to be in i am in the lord proverbs 1 7 the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction that's really the thesis statement of all of proverbs and friends in almost every english translation of proverbs we see the phrase the Lord, right? Like we did there, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But in the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, the word there is Yahweh, right? The I am, or literally, because the ancient Hebrews didn't want to say the full name of God, it's He is, right? Another predominant Hebrew name, though, of God is Elohim. And this refers to how God has revealed himself generally to all nations and people throughout our conscious through our conscious and the testimony of creation. You know, when the Egyptian Pharaoh and the sage, Amenemope, wrote wise sayings that Solomon himself would adopt, um, Amenemope was looking at the evidence of God that all people may see. Right? Again, the idea of general revelation right? Um, the, the, the conscience. So many ways we could talk about that. But in Proverbs, the name of God is almost always Yahweh. He is the great I Am, the Lord, the special revealing God of Israel. You see, there are 915 verses in Proverbs, and God is referenced in 100 of them. And 87 of those 100 references or to Yahweh, I am the Lord. In contrast, Elohim, referring to the God of creation and nature, occurs only five times in Proverbs. You see, my friends, at its core and throughout all of its pages, Proverbs is a book of wisdom calling us not to God in general, but to the great I am. The God, the God of Israel, and the God made fully known to us in Jesus Christ. You see, what Proverbs does, and why it is so important to us, now it's New Testament, believers in Christ, is that the Proverbs invite us to consider our lives, how we think, feel, and act, in comparison to the wisdom, the character, and the goodness of God. And when we hold our lives up to the mirror of the Proverbs, this will lead us to conviction. Hopefully, to change, to healing, to restoration. It will always lead us towards God's grace, redemption, and the experience of new life. Just one last thought for today. Friends, as we launch into this journey and go through Proverbs and see the many cautionary references to the fool, There are going to be times that you will read that. You will hear me say these verses or you'll read them yourselves and you will think, you know what? That's me. I'm that fool. And friends, when that happens, we must remember that Jesus loves the fool. Jesus came to this world for foolish people. Jesus died and rose again for the fool. You see, it's easy to use Proverbs as a bludgeon to mock and condemn foolish people. And many people have done that. And Proverbs would call those people foolish people because this would be a grave mistake. Because in marked contrast, Proverbs calls us to show patience, mercy, and love to the fool. Because apart from the grace of Jesus Christ and our continuing conformance to His character and nature, we also are the fool. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, God says this to us. All right, through the pen of Paul writing to his friend Titus For we too were once, don't right, you know what the word is there? Foolish. We too were once fools, disobedient, deceived enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind, His love for all humanity appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, which he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And friends, that eternal life is a life that has already begun in the life of a believer. And what that life looks like is richly portrayed and displayed for us in the miracle. Of the Hebrew Bible's book of Proverbs. I hope you track with us as we go through this study. Again, there are the next couple of next couple of um, lessons, of talks I'm going to give. We're going to continue to push into some of the big picture themes. We're going to talk about the big idea of wisdom. We're specifically going to talk about how the Proverbs points to the New Testament and to Jesus. And then here, after a few weeks, we'll actually jump into the text itself. But one last programming note. Next Sunday, I'm not gonna have a message for you. At the Beaver Creek service, my good friend, Tim Wilbanks, who's the Presbyterian pastor. Some of you may have met Tim. He's the pastor of the church that meets right before us at the Beaver Creek Chapel. Tim is going to be bringing a message. I'm gonna be at the, the hospital, right? I'm, this is my new, my new thing, I'm the chaplain there. But we have a beautiful chapel. Um, inside the hospital, and we are doing a dedication of it next Sunday. And I will be standing alongside my friend, Rabbi Joel, as with um, many, many other people, we donate that chapel to the ministry and the love and the goodness of God. So on two Sundays, I'll be back as we continue. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week.